Um, so you didn't really have anything that you wanted to uh, burning, you know, talk about. I mean, there's nothing in particular. I, I was just gonna let you set the thing you wanted to talk about the the use of force in Miami. Well, that was one of the things I was talking about, but I guess I don't think there's any way to avoid talking about the thing in Denver. I mean, have you heard about the shooting that went on at the mall? You mean besides the shooting in Atlanta? Well, yeah. I mean, we had another shooting. Uh, so I don't know. They, they haven't figured out the motivation of the Denver shooter yet, you know, if they ever will. Um, I guess the motivation of the Atlanta shooter was some kind of a mix between misogyny and uh, sexual frustration. I didn't really understand it. Did you? Uh, they tried to explain felt like it. it was it, felt like it was like a really bad interpretation of when Jesus is like, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. I think he kind of took that the wrong way. Yeah, because it's not <laughs> he didn't try to cut off some part of his body. So, someone else's eye, right? Without being too graphic about it. You know, if there's yeah. a part of your body that's causing you to lead. Right. Lead right. You don't go out and hurt other people's bodies. That, that right. logic doesn't flow. Yeah, uh, it was a combination of, yeah, I'd say like a weird combination of like, like you said, sexual frustration, yeah, like sexual addiction. I rem- the and, and, and just a weird way that a lot of times religious fundamentalism of any stripe is, is insular to the point that, like, so I'd say this growing up like Roman Catholic, and I enjoyed it, you know, I don't, I, I'm not here to say bad things about it. Uh, especially since daddy died i've been rethinking about a lot about it you know but um well religion and i mean like like well well you can have an insular nature to it it's just like in the in the roman catholic church how we have and we still get revealed all these molestations that happen right yeah your if your organization is not open to outside critique then things are very possible and you saw the church in atlanta sort of dogpiled for their boy they like deleted all comments he ever did on their well on their facebook and and every mention of him on their website and i can't i can't remember who said it i think it was bill maher believe it or not but there was something who someone who tried to draw a correlation between you know the kind of extremism that we see from religion and you know sexual frustration because if you look at it in terms of um islam has very specific guidelines i mean when you're talking about fundamentalist islam there's very specific guidelines when it comes to sex and you know the catholic religion also has very specific guidelines with you know human interactions and things like that and i think that kind of restriction on and not me you know i'm simplifying it by making it about sex but i'm 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 talking about that those kinds of restrictions on a person's life you know you you can't do you know you feel this urge but you can't do that you know, yeah, that right, kind right. of frustration can build a kind of contempt for yourself that can. Yeah. But I mean, I'm just speculating. I have no idea what caused these people to do that. What, no. what really bothers me about this thing in Denver is how differently we can all see it. Because, I, you know, I know a lot of people. That are, hey, hey, hey. Poor. I mean, is it is it your daughter or your son? I can't really tell. That's my son. Okay. He just wants attention, man. He doesn't like that you're not paying attention. To yeah. Oh, he's watching you. He's, 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 he's likes this show. Well, hello. Um, but I, I know people that were looking at that shooting in Denver and were thinking to themselves, we've got to do something about guns. You know, we've got to restrict more, you know, and in my mind, I look at this thing in Denver and I'm like, man, that, that's a lot of people in Denver that should have been carrying a handgun, you know, and it, it bothers me that we see things so differently and instead of seeing a terrible situation and, you know, cause we all know what's about to happen. 
I mean, you know it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it, but I don't know about the case of Denver, so I can't I can't in good faith comment on it because I had to, I didn't even read about it. Um, I don't even know what kind of weapon he used. I haven't read that far, but I did hear my mom watches NBC News, the uh, the the universal version, and I'm visiting her for a little bit uh, a little bit right now. And last night I heard Lester Holt say a military style long gun, and I have no idea what that is. I I, I was in the military for 20 years. I have no idea what a military style long gun is. I just love that yeah. he created this new term that, you know, so there's uh, this weird aesthetic. I think that, well, I think there's just an aesthetic that people have to something that looks like it would be in a modern military, <laughs> whether or not it can actually, whether or not it is actually capable of doing okay. these mass, this mass destruction. Cussy, buddy, cussy, it's all right. It's all right. So yeah, I think there's an aspect to it, but I can't, I can't go into uh, detail about it. No, it's all right. Because uh, I do, uh, I do think happening. like the, the thing with guns, though, if we're gonna keep talking about guns, is like a practical understanding of the ex- uh, of the effectiveness of gun laws is a discussion that's worth having. Like what two thousand four, we had like at least a default ban. I think at this point there are so many guns in circulation that good luck with any kind of ban. You yeah. know, this isn't this is different than Australia in ninety seven. Australia had a mass shooting in ninety seven, and they, they confiscated uh, guns. It pretty much made it almost impossible. Yeah. Uh, but the result is is that uh, you don't have that happen in Australia. Same thing happened with New Zealand. They had that mass that moth shooting, and they you know they did that. So the interesting thing is, anytime you talk about anything really in like America is like a rights based kind of country. We're really into rights, you know. Well, it's, and for and, me, it's more about philosophy than rights. It, it is well, about- yeah, but philosophy, yeah, uh, I mean, rights derive from your philosophical system, I'd assume. I mean, now we're getting a little more heady, but yeah, well, I well, mean, to well, say there's always... That's true, but, but, a philo- but a philosophical system can seek to just answer questions that are... Un- a, a right is something and a liberty, at least to me, those are things that, that uh, you know, our, philo- our philosophy allows us to agree that there are certain basic things about humans. You know, right, whether you're exactly. American, whether you're from China, whether you're from Cuba, it doesn't matter that there are basic things about humans that they're born with, that they, you know, like the right to be alive and the right to live yeah. free and all that. Stuff. We hold these rights to be self-evident. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and well, they were so by their that, creator, et cetera, et cetera. That mosque shooting in New Zealand. Did you watch that video? I was able to, to find it before it got taken down everywhere. So it's it's a horrible video. I don't know if you've seen it. And if, if anybody's looking for it, please take my advice and never look at it because it is. Yeah, no, I'm, he, I'm, he live streamed it on a webcam, on a body cam as he was Jesus. doing this. But um, I watched it, and the thing that was clicking in my mind as I'm watching it is, from the moment of the first shot, because I, I started watching from the moment of the first shot until I heard sirens was ten minutes. Ten minutes of a man with an AR-15. In a in a closed building filled with people, wow! And that was my reaction. Was ten minutes. Imagine that. Ten minutes of a person chasing you with an AR-15, and <laughs> immediately my reaction was, okay, this is a great reason to conceal carry everywhere, okay? Um, and what did New New Zealand do? They went to the exact opposite, you know, uh, reaction, which was to say no more. Uh, we- I don't know if they took away handguns as well, but they said no more assault weapons. Which we should talk they- about that term too. It's really a nonsense term that doesn't mean anything. Assault right. weapons is just something that was created 
the the term to create fear around a certain design of weapons and and it's it's been latched onto by forgive me anybody that's listening it's been latched onto by simple minds that don't understand weapons so that when you walk up to me and you say you know we should make assault weapons illegal all you're doing is talking about one specific design that yeah, no. is not going to do anything to reduce it. first of all if you want to talk about gun violence it's pistols it's handguns that are causing the majority of this right. the, the assault weapons just get so much attention because of the media coverage right well this is what i've said before is that there's three different conversations and you know there's the mass shooting epidemic which there has been an epidemic in the united states if you look at the data we've gone from like one every two years to roughly six a year or if well, like maybe even three a month at, yeah. at this point but a lot of that depends on how you quantify that data because when we yeah. talk about mass shootings what are we talking about are we talking about one person that kills two people one person that kills three people uh you know well mother jones lists it as as a shooting perpetuated by one person where three or more people are killed i okay. guess you can further you could further uh, three or more people three or more unarmed people are killed that's how mother jones um uh, the magazine three or they, more did a, unarmed they did a large people. survey of it because it's one thing to say, all right, well, you know, over on uh, over in the Sonya quarters, there's like a turf war and like three people get killed. Is that a mass shooting? Not necessarily. Yeah. Now you talk at three unarmed people, then, yeah, that's a mass shooting. Yeah. So um, the, the statistics that you just said, do you think those are I mean, you're talking. Th what did you say? Six a month, three a month? I, I, no, it's, I think it has gone up to. Poor guy. Poor What's guy. wrong? Why do you hate everything? <laughs> Hey, Ben, if you want, man, I can just ramble on if you got to do something. Because if you got to take him to school, I'm sure you got to do some stuff. Yeah, well, hold on. Wait, wait, give me one second. You're fine, brother. Take your time. I'll just ramble on. I can do that. Um, so one of the biggest problems I think we have with gun laws in this country, not, not just the design of so-called assault weapons, it's ignorance about the gun laws that already exist. So the, the, the big push and the thing that a lot of people can agree on is closing the gun show loophole. That's what we say. We want background checks. Everybody says we want background checks. Okay. I am a proud gun owner. Okay. And I'm going to tell you right now, you can't buy a gun without a background check. Okay. The, if you do, it's through one small little loophole that is designed so that I can sell a gun to my neighbor or I can sell a gun to my brother without having to conduct a background check on that person. Okay, because who's going to run that background check? Who's going to do the paperwork required to administer it? You're also talking about a system where if I sell my gun to a brother, the federal government is mandating that they be able to track that transaction. And although, you know, a lot of people on the other side of the spectrum, a lot of liberals, Democrats, excuse me, I know that people in their mind are like, why is it so terrible for a, a government to track, you know, weapons and uh, things like that? But from my point of view, from the conservative point of view, from the libertarian point of view, in the back of my mind, I've always got this idea that the government does not have your interests at heart. Okay. The government, the people within the government believe they are doing the things that are best for the country. But as a system, as a whole, the government itself as an entity does not care about individual people. It cares about the population. Okay, and that's the government. That's why government by its very nature is evil. Okay, by its very nature, it sees people as less than individuals, it sees people as a whole. Now, if a government is operating the way it should, it is a necessary evil, because we have to have some kind of laws to keep people from shooting and stealing with each other. Okay, but once those laws go all the way down to the transactions I'm making between my, you know, myself and my brother, 
Um, that's the gun show loophole. And if we're going to close that, I don't necessarily, you know, have a great big problem with it. I do want to know the details of who's going to pay for all these background checks. Okay. Um, the other problem with it, at least for me, we talked about a little bit on the last show was uh, the red flag laws. Um, and th this kind of hits close to home because I have a friend that called me uh you know, about a week ago and told me that he had a veteran buddy who was going through some very hard times. Okay. And I know what this is like, cause I went through some very hard times as a veteran and he was asking me for advice on how best to deal with it. And, um, his, he had PTSD, he had done four combat deployments. Um, and he was unable to, you know, he was unable to hold a job. He was unable to hold a relationship and he had fallen real deeply into depression. And like many veterans, he owns a lot of weapons. Okay. Uh, I'll tell civilians something you may or may not know about veterans when we're in a combat zone we can't leave our weapon anywhere your weapon is allowed to be one arm's length away from you at all times and you not having your weapon is just about the biggest deal downrange you know short of running away from a firefight or something so when you come back to the rear for a very long time you are paranoid about where your weapon is okay because it always has to be within arm's reach now like me and like many other veterans we get more comfortable in the civilian world because we don't have that you know, air support and body armor and up armored vehicles. So we might be more comfortable keeping a weapon on us. It doesn't make us dangerous. <laughs> okay. But this gentleman uh, who was dealing with depression had fallen very, very deeply into drinking. Okay. And having done that before, I will tell you that it, it, if you're, if you're like this right now, if you're a veteran or anybody struggling with depression and you're using alcohol as a crutch, because it's, I, I know I've been there. It becomes the only crutch you have. Reach out to somebody. Okay, because it's not going to stop going downward. That hole is never ending. <laughs> okay, uh, and this—that's what happened to this gentleman. And I talked to my friend. Uh, he had, you know, he had an AR-15. He had a bunch of, you know, pistols in the house. And I—I uh, I went over there and I talked to him and I said, "As you're talking to this man, do you feel safe?" That's a big deal. Unsafe is the word you have to keep in your mind. Um, but as he's interacting with this guy, what kept going through my mind was he knows this person. OK, they're good friends and he's not going to take this man's weapons if he doesn't want him to. OK, but if you imagine a world where my friend called the police and said, uh, I have a friend who has PTSD, you know, he's drinking a lot. He's got weapons in the house. I think he's dangerous. OK, that's all it takes in some states these days for the police to go to this man's house and take the weapons out of his house. OK, that, that's what's known as. That's what's known as a red flag law. Did you catch all that, Ben? Or if I no. just yeah, yeah, I'm back. Uh, no. Well, I mean, if you can avoid it, call the police. Don't don't call the police unless it's something that's really obvious. But don't you... call the police for mental health stuff unless it's out. Now, I, you've got anecdotes. I've got anecdotes. Me yeah, and Marshall ahead. had a good friend. My daddy, a good friend of my daddy, and Marshall and me, uh, 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 Terry Dupuy of Marksville, and uh, he was a paranoid type and the pandemic hit he stocked up a bunch of guns him and his son and it comes to figure his son uh and him were living in kind of bad conditions and his son uh killed him and killed himself this happened last year and i have a, another friend of mine um a frenchman who's no. been a in the united states no. for about 22 years he's a former french paratrooper and he does um he trains police officers uh, 
in the use of firearms and the, and and that that mass shooting in Jefferson uh, Parish. Uh, some of the people he knew were killed there, and you know, people there had guns too. So I mean, uh, all I'm trying to say is, um, you know, he's pretty upset about it. It's a very pro-gun guy, and I'm not an anti-gun guy by any means. Um, yeah. And, and the, so uh, it's 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 so it's like when we say, you know, well, what if everyone was armed? We're the most armed country in the world, and I, I just looked up the statistics, like. It's more than quadrupled since the 80s, the number of mass yes. shootings. There's, yes. you know, that's a very particular problem that, you know. Yeah, but but uh, the what I was trying to get at earlier with those statistics, it, it happened. Here's where that came from, because somebody was talking to me about school shootings. And I, I, I looked at the statistics that they had given me and I started delving into them and finding out where the, um, the numbers are coming from. And what I found out is you had shootings that were being classified as school shootings just because one of the members of the incident was in school. So what I'm saying is if a high school student shoots an adult off campus at home or something, they were calling that a school shooting. If, right. if, uh, if two people who were not in school got into a shooting at a school that was considered, uh, you know, even after hours when there were no kids, what I'm saying is once you start diving down into the statistics, what I found was they were classifying things as school shootings, you know, that had nothing to do with it. And that's what I was talking about with these mass shootings is, oh, I want to dive down into it and find out exactly where the dividing line is that we're calling it. Because what you were saying, three unarmed people, I'm okay with that, but I'm still of the mind that those statistics that you're quoting are probably not unarmed. And if they are, I can almost guarantee you that the shootings are not taking place with assault weapons, that it's going to be handguns somewhere. And it's going to be areas of high crime. It's going to be areas of high drug use. It's going to be stuff like that. Right, which is a different which is a different issue than the mass shooting, (laughs) which is a different issue than the mass pandemic. That's much more of a war on drugs issue. Yes, definitely. And but but still, that's um, but still, it is. I think what I'm trying to say is about rights. Like I believe in rights, of course, but you can have a hard time just with the visceral nature of these mass shootings. You have a hard time convincing someone just the straight up practicality of it. Yeah, because of the right? like, if there we're were laws, yeah. if, if there were laws that I think it could prevent what happened to my friend's friends who got killed or prevent what happened to Terry Dupuy from happening or, you know, like it would have been better for us to have intervened and taken his guns as, as individuals, maybe not as cops, but to go up and say, Terry, listen, you're in a bad place. Your son's in a bad place. You've got like five guns. What are you doing? The world isn't ending. You're in freaking Marksville. <laughs> this isn't well, exactly Mad Max. Let's get the guns out. Friends, you as his friend, that that is a positive community reaction. Okay? Well, exactly. My problem exactly. is whenever we come along and we say, no, we're going to have a mandatory government reaction. Because you as a friends within the community, you know me and we can sit down and have a conversation about what's going on. If a police officer shows up to my house and says, I have to take your guns. Number one, that police officer is not in a position to argue with you. He doesn't care. All he knows is he has a job to do. And number two, if all you're going to give me for an explanation for removing my Second Amendment rights is somebody thinks you might be dangerous, I'm going to have a problem with that. Of course. But (laughs) I think also one of the things... One of the things we have to understand too is like community doesn't really exist anymore. I mean, oh. that's a, 
yeah. I mean, it, it does yeah. for, for, for us, it does for like me and you. Cause like, I guess I've technically been in the same place for, <laughs> oh, my little boy, come on, come on. I guess we've okay. technically been in the same place for 300 years. Right. So like for me, sure. But like most, like the American experience and, 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 and quite frankly, capitalism rewards you to not have a community like capitalism rewards nomadic behavior. So if you're a dude who grew up in Toledo, your mom grew up in Boston, your dad grew up in Miami and you grew up in, and you moved to San Francisco and you're going to live there for 20 years. And that's the end of it. Cause you're yeah. going to make millions of dollars. And then you go go retire in Montana. That's like, that's like the end game. Well, right? I think, and one of the ways that we've killed our communities is that we've allowed ourselves to become classified as consumers and uh, voters. Those are the only two things that I think people, because you define yourself these days by your job, by how much money you make, you know, what your goals are, you know, what do you want to be? You want to be rich, you want to be powerful, all these things. And we define ourselves based on our, our success through our careers and, and stuff like that. We're, we're no longer part of our small, you know, forgive the word, but we're no longer part of our small tribes trying yeah. to make those tribes better. You know, now it's all about, yeah, what's that book everyone likes now? Everyone likes that book, Tribe. Yeah. Yeah, and, but, and I was talking about this to somebody else that growing up in Louisiana, a lot of people outside of the South don't understand. You know, somebody in New York City might look at my dad who wakes up in the morning before the sun comes up. You know, my dad's, you know, over 60, and he works all day, you know, works as long as the sun's up. And my all my brothers are like this. And they, they work all day, and then they get it home at the end of the day, and they have a job satisfaction that, People who work in offices will never understand based on how much they busted their butt all day. You, you know what I'm saying? And I think that a lot of that is missing outside of that because we don't have a lot of guys out there seeking that daily hard work. You know, everybody wants to, you know, um, uh, become a billionaire and the, the satisfaction, the job satisfaction, the life satisfaction, it doesn't come as easily as it would if your goal was simply to provide for your family, to go out there and work and make a life for yourself. Because I'll tell you right now, my, my dad, my, my family that works their butts off, it's just completely insane to them to be depressed. They don't understand it. <laughs> yeah. Am I rambling again? I've had a lot of calls. No, you're not rambling, no. But I mean, I've, I've thought about this a lot about how when we want to talk about community solutions versus government solutions and Sometimes community solutions don't happen. And I think we have seen the erosion of, of community. And I think for a lot of reasons, and I think it's just capitalism doesn't reward community, like communitarian, the communitarian mindset. Um, you know, it's the logical conclusion of capitalism for there to be no barriers to trade at all. So of course you want to grow up in a factory town. Well, guess what? That town, that factory is going to be shipped to Malaysia before too long, yeah. you know? You want to, you want to, um, you want to live on the family farm and make money on that? Well, good luck competing against like billion dollar subsidized companies that own yeah. all the land. And that, that's another thing that I think we've kind of lost track of is we, it's, it's an, it's a side effect of our binary political system and all or nothing that we, we've lost sight of the idea that capitalism can be a good system. Unregulated capitalism will always be an abusive system. The idea that that the the people who have the most money are controlling all of the choices, that you know, that right now anybody with a cell phone understands how capitalism can dehumanize people. 
All yeah. you have to do is try to call a cell phone company and do anything, anything. Yeah. Verizon right now swears I owe them $3,000. And every like month they would cut me off and I'd have to spend four hours on the phone getting cut back on to explain to them that I don't owe them any money. And then the next month it would happen again. I'm not even kidding. They still do this. I now have a phone with AT&T because without it, I wouldn't have a phone. Well, that's, and, that's because, that's, and that's just all it, it, the error is a hundred percent on their part, but there's no system for treating you like an individual with an individual problem. It's well, all that's the biggest classifying. irony. That's you know? the biggest irony is we grew up scared of like um, Soviet style bureaucracy that, you know, a government of Soviet style bureaucracy, but now we just have it in big business. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, during the pandemic, how, how are the hours just to talk to a machine for, yeah. To figure out and, your finances. I never understood that because the unemployment rate is so high and there's so many people who are sitting at home and a customer service job, any customer service job can be done over the phone. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm now I'm sitting here going, well, that's what? what I'm saying. One plus one equals two, right? You know, yeah. that's what I'm saying. If we had like, if, if, if the pandemic, if we had an FDR type president during the pandemic, who's was like, guess what? I'm going to throw a bunch of money at making like half of unemployed people a call service center now for the time being, you know, better, I mean? like, hey, even better yet, let's not worry about the problems now. If we're going to spend money on some kind of a stimulus, let's spend money on the future. Like, I don't know, yeah. fiber optic cable for internet, you know, high-speed rail systems. Yeah. Um, or, or oh, hey, yeah. Fix your infrastructure. <laughs> well, this is, unfortunately, China was doing, China did some big brain stuff during the pandemic. They said, okay, look, instead of just giving y'all stimulus checks, we're going to build we're gonna bridges. We're going to put you to work. Yeah. Which was again, which is a very FDR way of looking at things, and, and that's to me, to me that role that is one of the roles the government should have in a situation I, where you know, people are out of work, the economy's crashed. Don't send people paychecks. Don't send billions of money to companies. Don't don't do any of that stuff. As a society, if government wants to examine a population as a whole. Okay, then yeah. that government has a responsibility to do what's best for that population, not just now, but in the future. And if you well, take a look at your situation right now, there are certain things that are trending toward the future that you know you can go ahead and get a head start on. Renewable yeah. energies. You know, well, I, I think it's it's energy. why my grandparents all loved FDR. I mean, well, and all love and all love you. I got my problems with. I, I got my problems with the new deal, not just because of how much it expanded and it never went back. Because I think it started with the New Deal and it went, you know, New Deal, World War II, Cold War, War on Terror. And now we have this federal government that is so huge and everybody has accepted that it has to be so huge based on the emergencies of the past. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think yeah. the New Deal was necessary at the time. I don't think it needed to be sustained all this time. The military. Uh, no, I, I, I guess you and I disagree on that. I, I stand the New Deal and its programs. And I, I think I would be more Huey Long than FDR if it's. Was let's, talk, let's talk about the farm bill then. So the farm bill with you got <laughs> agricultural subsidies, you got environmental regulations and you got yeah. food benefits. The three parts yeah. of the farm bill. OK, way back in the New Deal. What we started was SNAP benefits is still going on today. All the way from the New Deal until now, you have people that are directly being fed by the government because Great Depression, Dust Bowl, all that stuff. The environmental regulations, if you talk to any farmer in Louisiana, they're going to tell you 
they are absolutely absurd. You have farmers that are being told they can't do things that people do on their lawns. Well, that farm bill changed in the 70s. The original well, point yeah, it comes up for a vote every few years. It gets changed all the time. But well, what I'm no, the is, basics, the basics of our way we do agricultural subsidies change in the 70s. It used to be you would essentially bail out farmers who had made untenable bets because, you know, farming is it's extremely risky. Yes. But. And we now, learned in this poll, we have to have our farming land to feed ourselves, you know? Yeah. But now essentially the government has been paying people to grow food we don't need well so the, the here's the, another the problem structure the, the whole structure of how we do farm bills let me look up the guy's the name farmers are a, not getting very no particular the farmers are not why? getting no subsidies anymore the, you have farm corporations exactly <laughs> yeah the, but the yeah. individual farmers aren't getting those things a lot of the time and no, that's of course more, not. because what happens is what there, there's never been a case since the new deal that the for, the farm bill shrunk in size it always gets bigger and as it gets bigger the responsibilities get bigger and as it's government the more things it's going to screw up <laughs> and, and that's that because that's murphy's law the more things that are going on the more things that will go wrong and instead of trying to find new laws to plug all the holes for the things that are going wrong you know try to accept the fact that maybe government's best action is to do nothing and allow the system to, you know, allow people to go out and figure out that, hey, if you don't work, you're, you're not going to eat. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. didn't you say you had to get the kid to school, man? Don't, don't let me make you late. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the Agricultural Act. Um, oh, you were Googling. <laughs> yeah, I was Googling. Yeah, that was a big change. I'm trying to find out the particular guy. Um, but but I think while you're looking that up, I'll go off on another tangent. There's a push right now, I believe, from the left to remove the consequences of bad decisions from our country. OK, uh, student loans with terrible debt. I know we're going to disagree on this, but elective abortions, um, the, the, uh, the SNAP benefits, the unemployment benefits, all of these things. There's a push to allow taxpayer money to augment the consequences of poor decisions that people are making right now. And I don't agree with that. Um, I think that life is about decisions and consequences and learning from them and becoming better. Even if the only way that you can learn from them is to teach your children not to make the same mistakes that you did. Uh, but there's a middle ground in there, you know. Well, I mean, when it comes to student loans. I look at that kind of in the way that we would look at farm bills or anything like that. I mean, you have a long history of um, farms failing because, you know, you take out a loan from the bank and guess what? The, the harvest ain't going to happen. You have mass failures. So you had, you actually had in the Great Depression, going back to the Great Depression, and this is even, you know, partly because of the Dust Bowl, but also just because sometimes you would have farms fail uh people would would do penny auctions on farms right they would essentially show up with their guns surround the farm anyone else wants to try to buy this farm you ain't gonna get it i'm gonna buy my neighbor's farm for like 30 cents deal with it you yeah, know and for everybody that's listening what ben's describing actually happened communities would come together and when the bank repossessed someone's farm they would try to sell it to pay off the loan everybody that showed up would be armed 
and the only people that were allowed to bid were the original owners or right. somebody would bid for them and give it back to them. So exactly. That, uh, yeah. You had this going all the way to where Nebraska essentially made it to where banks couldn't repossess farms. They tried to make several laws. I mean, the way I see it right now is a lot of people took out student loans on the expectation that getting a liberal arts degree will get you a job in the, in the ad will get you a job in a, in an ad agency or get you a job as a, uh, and that a school the, teacher or will get you a job in um as a lawyer you know even even if you look that's at the decision point that's the decision point right well, there well, well, but, but we're also talking about we're talking about things that are bigger than decision. what the major in you decide to take that loan you know you decide those are the decision points but go ahead well but that's the same thing as like it's not a rational decision or it it's Trying to think how to well, phrase. I'll, I'll give you the most perspective people, that most I heard. people in the United States don't want to be farmers because it's not as profitable to be a farmer as it used to be. I mean, well, yeah, because that's what everybody wants to be rich. Everybody wants well, to be rich. Everybody wants to be famous. I understand not just rich. I mean, everyone does want to be rich and famous, but also I'm just talking about like buy a house, but by the time you're 25, have kids by the time you're 28. Right, well, like even that—that that you can buy a house without taking a loan. No, Are I'm not suggesting that at all. But I'm—I am suggesting that our parents, the grandparents' generation, managed to make that happen. And my argument for that is essentially, um, there's a good historian and so and a soci sociologist called Turchin, who I recommend everyone read. Essentially, the number of people. Turchin, you said. Turchin, T-U-R-C-H-I-N. Okay. The number of people who are at elite and professional positions is reaching critical mass. I've, 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 I've heard about this theory that, that yeah. we're, are, we're collapsing because of too many elites. That's correct. Yeah. So what I'm trying to say is there simply are, there are so many lawyers right now that being a lawyer is not what it used to be in the sixties. There are so many people who have jobs that, I mean, here's another person I, I recommend uh, your watchers read. David Graber has a great book called Bullshit Jobs. The propensity of jobs that if they didn't exist, there would be no black market for. If HR didn't exist, there would be no black market for HR. Yeah, all you got to right? do is look at the end of the world. That's what everybody yeah. has to think about. If right now everything collapsed, if it was the zombie apocalypse, would you have any skills? <laughs> no, I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I that's wouldn't. a good way to look at it when you yeah, talk about and I wouldn't, but, I, I, but that's not the way I look at it because I like to think of society as more than just bear survival but but the, the the you know but like i think i think there would be there would be a um there would be a black market for brewers because we know that historically yep. but yep. you wouldn't necessarily need a brewer in a zombie apocalypse i mean unless you're just trying to get purified water but you know what i'm saying i mean yeah i think alcohol and and entertainment is one of oh, those sure. things that are necessary for for survival but well that's what i'm saying it's like a, 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 a i don't a i don't necessarily think. agree with the yeah. the too many elite i've read that i read an article about it i'm not gonna yeah say so so turchin um uh age of discord is by turchin and david graver bullshit jobs essentially what i'm trying to tell you is that if you look at both government and business the number of administrative jobs that don't necessarily need to exist has grown exponentially oh yeah so what I'm trying to say is you take out a loan 
to get a liberal arts degree because you think it's going to get you an administrative job at a law firm. And it comes to figure there are 150 other people who are more qualified than you. Mm -hmm. You had no idea of knowing that when you took out that loan. But that's what I'm saying. I will tell you right now. But that's what I'm saying. Like you, like, it's sort of like all but the people whose responsibility are farming, is taking that? out you're, loans you're, you're to farm that, that taxpayers and government should be looking at that decision so that, you know, if, uh, if they're throwing up their hands going, well, nobody told me there'd be 150 people. I mean, that's just life. That's just life. That's a consequence of that decision that you made. That's not something that taxpayers should have to uh, subsidize. Now, I can get on board with the idea that we're subsidizing so much else crap, but the answer to the misspending of tax dollars is not to misspend more tax dollars. Well, you know, ultimately, I'm not going to call it a miss. Ultimately, I'm not going to call it a misspend because in the long term, it makes more money to have less people saddled with debt. On the long term, you get more money for it. I, I will disagree that the people who you're speaking we're speaking in generalities which is a tough thing to do um but i will tell you this i i don't believe there is any benefit to paying off someone's student loan for society none and if there's a benefit for paying off student loans for society then explain to me why that wouldn't benefit all other loans mortgages and car payments and credit card debt all of that stuff because I think the reason this even became about student loans was two reasons. One, we're motivating the college age population to get out and vote. Two, ever since in the 70s, when the government came out, I think, I think it was part of Johnson's uh, great society. Lyndon Johnson killed 50,000 Americans in combat in Vietnam so he could win re-election, by the way. But Lyndon Johnson passed his great society thing. And one of the things was that he would guarantee uh, college education they were they started guaranteeing student loans for students and now all of a sudden the price of books skyrockets the price of college skyrockets and now people are going and they want to get a degree in you know television production because that's where their passion is okay and that's what they want to get a degree in but then they get their degree they got their eighty thousand dollars in student loans they graduate and find out that no one wants to hire a 22 year old with a college education you know in nothing and no experience because that's the way the world is. The world doesn't operate according to what you want to do. Society operates based on what it needs. And if you want to go out there and, and hey, if you wanna go out there and expand your mind and learn about what you wanna learn, that's fine, that's great. Education should never stop. But if you're expecting to operate in a society that functions on money, then you're gonna to have to have a marketable skill and a marketable education. That's that's the way I feel about it. I agree, you're gonna to have to have a marketable school and education, but. First off, I mean, Lyndon Johnson killed uh, something like 1.2 million innocent Vietnamese civilians. Yep. So, uh, but Operation, also. Operation um, Rolling Thunder for anybody. Well, that just, I'm just talking about the whole damn clusterfuck that was Vietnam from 1948 to 1975. Oh, yeah. Ever but, since the end of World War II. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But um, eat your bread, buddy. And the but, lesson uh, for anybody, think, anybody's wondering why I'm talking about Vietnam, the lesson for everybody is do not trust your government. Go ahead. Yeah, well, sure. Of course. But um, no, I think there are cases where you do want to, um, there are cases where you would want to guarantee mortgages or credit card or, or I mean, this would have been a great year. 2020 and 2021 would have been a great year to um, decrease credit card interest or forgive certain credit card debt. 
like but you know that would crash our economy right well yeah our economy is built on 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 debt yeah. our entire economy is built on debt like yep. that's and interest rates and credit and debt yeah You're right. i mean that's i'm not saying that's a good thing but i'm no, saying that's, that's just the way it is you know i'm not saying that I, I, I wish I could, li- honestly, this is the God's honest truth. I'm not being a smart aleck. I really wish we could live in a world where if my daughter decided all she wanted to do was paint, if she decided to be an artist and all she wanted to do with her time was paint and all day, you know, and be able to feed herself, house herself. If we could live in that world, I would love it, but we don't. Unless she's able to sell her paintings, she's not going to be able to feed herself. So I, I just, I think there's a disconnect here and I, I, I got no problem dreaming, you know, if we want to live in that world someday, that's fine. But sure. whenever you jump the gun and somebody comes along and says, I'm going to do what makes me happy. And I say, that's great, buddy. And then you come <laughs> along and say, I can't afford to feed myself. Well, <laughs> no, there's a consequence to that. Uh, there's a consequence of that. I'm, I'm a self, <laughs> I'm a starving artist. I don't have significant debt besides what the pandemic put on. Is there, me. Any, is there any such thing as a non-starving artist? Yeah. An insufferable artist. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, an artist who made it and then they're insufferable yeah there you but, go uh but no i think actually the weirdest thing is we kind of are in the jetsons future i mean at least the united states is and western europe is and canada is and Oceania is and china is you know obviously i it seems to me that obviously in the economy we live in there's always gonna have to be someone left holding the bag be that like a child making your shoes in indonesia or someone with mountains of debt but, you know, um, it, that's the weird thing is that we do have such incredible amounts of wealth that we build that a lot of people theoretically could live comfortable lives being painters. Well, um, and, and these, let, me, let me bounce an idea off of you. I've never said out loud because it's very socialist, communist, for lack of a better way to put it. Uh, I mean, imagine a world if we because I don't want to spend tax money giving people money. Okay, like if I'm walking down the street and I've got a pocket full of $100 bills, I will never give that money to a person on the street asking for money. If I see someone on the street, I will go to a store and buy them food and baby wipes and, you know, socks and things that I know that you need when you live on the street. Sure. And I'll give them to that person. And the reason is that if you are living on the street without money, again, I'm speaking in generalities, which is usually a bad idea, but I assume that you've made some poor decisions with your money that you know you've led <laughs> this probably is probably not great with money led you. so i don't want to give you more money i want to help you live and if we come up with a situation where you know let's say let's say i don't want to work anymore i have decided i want to write i want to write a book even though it's going to be a terrible book and nobody's going to to do it now you put me in an apartment complex uh and tell me all i have to do is maintenance for the apartment complex okay i have to do the grass i have to uh, paint the walls i have to do stuff like that and in exchange the 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 government will provide me with food shelter power something like that like in exchange for work you get this and it's a terrible dystopian thing to think about but it's to me that's preferable to handing people money because i know people that are just doing drugs <laughs> they live sure. off the money that the government gives them and well in new orleans you know post katrina the city uh manages a musician's village like a subsidized apartment living place for musicians because at least for new orleans and as far as louisiana is concerned we we have a net benefit from our music traditions 
And so essentially in New Orleans, there are like musicians they, who are considered do they do anything like do they can. I'm trying to think of the word to phrase it because musicians contribute to society. I'm thinking I can't remember his name, but uh, I apparently went to high school with this guy and a friend, Adria, introduced me to a great guitarist down there. He was doing live streams for a while. So, I mean, musicians, they add to society. But in terms of the thing that's in the back of my mind always is tax money. I don't I don't like tax money because I don't like the idea of the government taking my money and saying, I know what to do with this more than you. And to take that tax money and pr provide a, a, a place for people to go and just sit and not do anything, you know, I'm okay with it in specific context, but how do you prevent a drug head who buys a guitar at a pawn shop and plays terribly from going and living in this place? Well, the Musicians Village actually is, is it's, it's means tested. Like there are musicians who are like particularly culturally significant or who, you know, who within the music who, music who community. That? I'm just curious. Like, well, yeah, no, no, no. That's that's a vague term. It's hard to yeah, say yeah. that. But you can at Are least you culturally significant. But you can have people vouch for you. So, for example, I just applied to a grant for a, a, a short film I wrote. And yeah. I was means tested. I had to, like, go to different people in the community to prove that I'm not just some dude from Rhode Island who, like, moved down here so he could, like, meet a black person, be a hipster and leave, right? Yeah, so you, uh, just, you hand him a copy of your, your script and, like, read this and tell me I'm not garbage. Yeah, no, I gave him a script and they're like, all right, now we need references from the city that you actually are, like, from Louisiana. I'm like, okay, fine. Like, your driver's license isn't good enough? You need a sworn... No, script. but, like, actually, like, like what they mean specifically is... um that I'm trying to do work of cultural significance. So like I gave him the name of a dude who like is with Coda Phil that I know, another dude who manages like a Katrina museum. Anyway, I know you're laughing, but you're saying let's meet. That you're talking about cultural, culturally reverent, cultural significance, all that stuff. I mean, I understand the intent and, and I'm of the firm belief that anybody in the government who is on, I think 99% of them honestly believe they're doing the best thing for the people that they're in charge. Well, of. this isn't a government grant. This is a private. Uh, okay. Okay. Good. Oh, now the rules are different for you. Oh, oh yeah. now suddenly. Well, because well, you say private, that's not my money. That's not taxpayer money. That's not my neighbor's money. If that's a private yeah. organization, they can decide however they want. If you want to come, if a billionaire walks up to me and says, you know, your writing is terrible, but it's culturally significant. And he wants to give me a million dollars. You know, I, who is who is anybody to say that he can't give that? And you know who is the government? Because they'll probably tax it. <laughs> well, that's actually the entire art industry is is actually just bad art that billionaires pay for so they can write well, off taxes. Yeah, but, but uh, the, if they're if it's private, that's a completely different thing. I'm okay with that. But if yeah. we ever cross over into the government, those are the kinds of terms that people should look for. It's the words like, you know, dangerous with red flag laws or uh, culturally significant. It's those little tiny words that they put into large pieces of legislation that are opinions, you know, where you're like, who decides that? And why is that person entrusted with this much power? So the, the, that's just the way I look at it. I'm, I'm going to let you go, man, about 10 minutes early. I know you got to do some morning stuff. I appreciate you joining me, brother. This was a great Yeah, I, wish, I mean, it was fun. I don't think we, like, I think we just, like, shot the shit and didn't really, like, uh, uh, cool. come to anything. I really just want to get to the point where we can start yelling at each other based on facts. <laughs> and I'm just going to keep doing this show until we can start, like, getting red in the face. But you won't see me red in the face because I can't make my camera work. And then. <laughs> 
we're just going to yell with some sort of fact-based thing because we disagree on things, but we're just so goddamn polite and Southern. Yes, and passionate. <laughs> no, nah, man, I, you, you probably won't hear me yell at all. My yelling days, I'm hoping my yelling days are done, man. I'm all about... Well, I, I, most military guys, I think they yelled enough. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm done with all that. Now, now I want to... So anyway, I do appreciate you joining me. Before I leave, everyone I know, everyone who is ex-military is, well, first off, everyone I know who's ex-military is either far right or far left. And everyone I know who's (laughs) ex-military, everyone I know who's ex-military is super skeptical of the government, but like, that's their whole goddamn like job. Like my nephew, right? My nephew's a Marine. He was he he's made some money on Robin Hood with the with the you know all the stocks and everything. Yep. Yeah. And he's like, man, I have to give a third to the government. And I said, you idiot, you're the government. You're getting that <laughs> no, money. No, and I'll tell you why. Look, anybody who's active duty military deals with the government day in day out, living with them, getting control of their lives, and that's why when they, you know, I don't know anybody who served for twenty years in the military who except the officers. For some reason, the officers, the people in charge of the military, they usually end up as Democrats. I'll, well, I'll let you make of that thing. whatever the, you the officers tend to be Officers tend to be moderate liberals, yep. usually not socialists, but moderate liberals enlisted they, men tend they to be conservative. the people in power because they're the people in power. <laughs> well, it's the exact opposite of Russia in 1917. All the, all the enlisted men and the sailors were communists and all the... Uh, all the officers were either liberals or monarchists. So, and you know what happened in 1917? Yeah, so we're going to have the opposite of 1917, but it's going to be the conservatives. <laughs> if y'all don't know what happened in 1917, just look up the Russian Revolution. Yeah, so it was going to be the opposite, but like a... Uh, Soldiers just started going home. They were like, you know what? Screw this. <laughs> well, more Spain, well, then more Spain, 1933, then. And less, uh, less Russia, 1917. But... I got to go. So Yeah. All right, brother. I appreciate you joining me, man. We're going to do it again. Okay. Talk to you later. Have a great day. You too.